Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, your premier North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby, one fan at a time. Welcome Rugby Rant fans to a special interview we're going to do a bit of a departure from the run, pass, or kick. I'm Rob the Hammer, Hammerschmidt, and because this is a special interview, it's actually coming to you on Sunday just after the Eagles uh, put down Kenya in the repershage. And so we brought a very, very special guest as a result, and we brought Mr. Nick Savetta, uh, MLR champion, so congratulations on that, USA Eagle, very accomplished in that regard, and a player's representative for the U.S. Rugby Players Association uh, on the 15 side of things, along with Bryce Campbell and Dylan Fawcett. So, Nick, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining. Uh, Rob, thanks for having me. Um, obviously, you just watched a, a great Eagles win over Kenya. Wish I could have been there in person. Um, yeah, but a good start for us for the tournament and uh, looking forward to the next couple of weeks. For sure. I mean, we did what we had to do. We got the win, scored points, and got tries. And so, you know, in a repershage where you're playing three games, all those things matter uh, should there be a tie in terms of results. So great win for the Eagles. Congratulations to the boys. And I'm sure you're having your own communications with them uh, from from afar. Um, you're in the UK. They're down in, you know, probably base camped in South Africa. So, oh, no, I guess they've, they've, they've moved up to. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the reason why this is a special interview, folks, is because we have just gotten news last week of L.A. and Austin uh, not going to be in the competition, the MLR competition for 2023. As a result, uh, the league came out with its plan for how to address the players and deal with the players who are on both of those squads. We know a few have been signed, but there's a lot of guys on those rosters who are who are left in limbo. And so the rugby rant wanted to bring on a representative from um, those players and a representative from the union because the U S RPA uh, released a statement and, and I'll post it for everybody to see, or at least one aspect of it about the dispersal draft, which is going to happen on, I believe it's the 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, at least that's what has been released. Um, and we'll get in more to that statement and more into the nature of the draft in a bit. I want this show to be about Nick and his his uh, position as a representative to kind of get their position out there because it has drawn so much interest by fans. We wanted to bring that to you. So with that in mind, Nick, let's get to the first question. And, and we're going to start. I want to start from the beginning. As the fall uh, season progressed and no news of a sale emerged, did the union – have any contact with major league rugby regarding how it was going to handle this situation? Um, so the simple answer is, is no. Um, what you, we need to understand is that we, as a union, we represent the USRPA represents um, the men's 15s and sevens national team, the women's 15s, sevens national team. Um, we don't yet officially have a working relationship with um, the MLR. So there is um, no real direct line of communication between us and them. Um, that being said, at, at the point, at, at this point, you know, over the last six months, the communication in general from the league to players on both Austin and LA has been minimal, right? 
And that was one of the things that rankled us as players, you know, and having spent, you know, the last few months on and off with the U.S. team um, in camps and hearing from the guys who play for Austin and L.A., um, just how little communication they were getting from the league, um, well, no communication from the league, and then the occasional message from people on, you know, the L.A. and Austin side trying to sell the team, saying, oh, hang on, we have a buyer, we have a buyer, we're going to get this done. Um, you know, it, it was it was a situation that was – um, probably bound to end badly, um, especially given that the chances of the team selling um, seem to decrease, you know, week in, week out. So, um, yeah, it was – I mean, that was the, the reason why we felt like we needed to start speaking up about um, some of the issues here is because there was just no communication. And, you know, there's 70 players in limbo um, who needed answers, needed a place to play, needed to know whether they were – able to seek other opportunities, if they're allowed to seek other opportunities in the MLR, if they should look abroad. Um, yeah. So. So uh, what, what I think fans need to understand, and I'm not sure having contact with fans on social media, I'm not sure all of them understand the fact that Austin has been up for sales since Gilchrist bought it. I mean, that was part of his deal when he purchased LA is to purchase Austin, kind of make it salvageable. And I think what he tried to do, which was noble was try to make it a, uh, commercially successful, commercially viable team. And he did that. It was very successful. I suppose it, it probably, given what we know now, it's coming to cost. Nevertheless, it's been up for sale this long. And so it's not like this, you know, it's, it's sale was a, a new um, eventuality. It, it, it's been there throughout the whole process. Um, and so it's almost like that dangling carrot uh, that's kind of put in front of the horse and continue to um, move forward in a sense. Um, our all player, I think, and, and this is important too, because you talk about USA men's, uh, and women's sevens, USA men's and women's 15s. So I want to get into the nature of the fact that obviously, you know, the men's on the men's 15 side, those are not the only players that are in the MLR. Of course, there are foreign players too. So that's the nature of my next question. Are all players, uh, contracted in the MLR? Are they members of the union or is there kind of, um, some, uh, segment, you know, is there kind of a, you know, a difference of opinion, if you will, um, regarding being involved in the union? Um, so I, I think there's, there's, there's quite a lot of player solidarity around, around being involved in the union. Um, towards the end of last season, we had up to 80% of guys signed up, signed authorization cards, members of the union. Um, so we, we think we have a fairly, you know, strong majority of people uh, who, um, who who wish to be involved, right? Again, it's as as in any profession. Um, you know, we're we're at the stage where we're building um, an organization. Um, you know, from by the you know by the players for the players, um, and asking for guys to have have trust in in us as an organization that you know we will we will represent the players well. Um, you know, in, 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 in any negotiation that, that comes to the table. Right. Um, but we're in a situation now where, you know, we're, we're not recognized by the league. Um, and we, we want to make sure that we are in a strong place uh, before we go through that process. Yeah. And again, to clarify, I think you bring up a great point. The fact that you're not recognized by the league, what that means folks is that there's no CBA um, if I'm not mistaken, Nick, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the union has made attempts to be recognized by the Major League Rugby. 
Um, those attempts had been um, turned down, ignored, um, not interested. You know, we call it what you will. They're not interested in having a conversation with the with the union. Am I mistaken in any of that? Um, I can't I can't speak for them now, right? Because um, okay. it's been since 2020 it was the last time we asked for recognition. Um, you know, we're at the stage now where, you know, we, we want to have productive conversations with the league on on player welfare issues that we can address. You know, that that aren't related to you know guys getting paid you know, a ton of money or financial success for, for, for individual players. Like we were able to have a really constructive conversation about the HIA protocols, right? We brought that to the league's table before last season and said, Hey, you know, you don't have this international standard of uh, concussion protocols involved in the league. Like we, we really should get that done. Um, and, you know, the league after some hesitation was like, Oh yeah, we need to do this. Um, and they brought a couple players to the table and we were able to sit down with them, you know, every two weeks over the course of a few months and, you know, figure out how to get this, you know, the, the most up-to-date concussion protocols involved in the league. And they were great with that. You know, we, we they listened to us. It was productive. They brought on independent neurologists. Um, they made sure the protocols were fairly robust. They spent a bunch of money on it. It came in in concert with, with the addition of TMO, um, better camera angles. So, you know, I think that was that was really the first time where we felt like we had made an impact with the league and we showed that like, you know, we're in this together and our goals and their goals are the same goals. Like I, I love the MLR and I want it to be super successful over the long term. Like we're all in the same position where like we want the same thing um, and we want to be involved in making sure that it grows organically and it grows productively with its with its player base. Gotcha. And, and again, an important thing to recognize the fact that the players see this as a, a, a symbiotic process, right? To grow the league, to make it better, to improve it gradually over time. Um, and, and it's nice to hear that at least the league recognized players on the issue of HIA because it is so important, obviously, as it's just something that any contact sport is having to deal with, you know, from, um, you know, gridiron football to rugby, and that's rugby all over uh, the world. Um, so nevertheless, um, so where, where, how would you describe the relationship between the league and the union in this juncture? And then that'll give us a springboard to talk a little bit more specifically about what's happened more recently. Um, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that question, Rob. Um, there's no, there's no official relationship between us and the league, um, at the moment. Right. I mean, that's the long and short of it. Uh, and and I, I don't want to sit here and, and sound like an antagonist and sound like the union is an antagonistic organization. Um, it, it may, it may, you know, appear, you know, because simply because we've, we've started speaking about some of the issues we see that we're trying to antagonize the league um, into, into one thing or another, but like we're just bringing to light legitimate issues of player welfare that we want to work together with the league on. Right. So yeah, at the moment, the relationship with the league is, it doesn't exist, but that's, that's very typical, um, you know, in a situation where you have a player base that is organizing um, there's, or, or an employee base that's organizing mm -hmm. uh, there's no, um, you know, obligation for the employer to have a relationship with that group. Right. Yeah. Understood. I think that makes a lot of sense and that uh, hopefully that'll clarify some things for a lot of fans out there. Um, so moving forward, let's talk a little bit about, um, and wade into those weeds that we knew we were getting into. 
Um, just prior to the playoffs, so to recap fans that maybe weren't totally up to date, just prior to the MLR playoffs here in 2020, the league disqualified Austin for breaches of salary cap. Um, for reasons that are ancillary related, yes, but ancillary LA was disqualified as well. Again, kind of a different conversation. Um, so my question is, would the union be supportive of an independent audit for, of each team to ensure that teams are adhering to the cap? Because that seems to be the kind of the tipping point for where we are now. Um, so would the union be like, I would speak for myself in saying that it's important that, you know, if you have competition rules that they're followed. Mm-hmm. Um, so an independent audit might be one way of accomplishing that. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I probably I don't wouldn't speak on behalf of the union, but I would say, you know, as with any sort of league, there are rules that the competition needs to abide by to make it fair. One of those rules were the salary cap rules, um, and they should be enforced fairly and 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 you know across every team in the competition. And and if that requires more oversight, then it requires more oversight. Gotcha. Understood. So just for fans, we're disaggregating the union from where Nick's personally at on the issue. Um, and, and it's important. He is a representative, but he's also an individual too, and has to, you know, uh, there are two different elements to represent here. And so we yeah. respect that. Thank you, Nick, for your, you know, for your honesty. Um, all right. So let's get into it on November 4th, just uh, this week, the USRPA put out a series of statements on Instagram, expressing the union's concerns with the, draft with this um, ancillary draft that's going to be happening here on the 10th. Uh, What kind of input did the organization um, receive from representatives and membership as a whole regarding to the dispersal draft did, and, and, but I mean the organization like the MLR, did they, did they get any, you know, were they given any feedback, you know, prior to this press release um, about how players were feeling so they kind of could better represent them? Um, I, I don't know. Like, do you think, did, did the MLR consult with, with players in, in their decision-making to, 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 to put together this draft? Or are you saying in, in between the time where they released these rules and we commented on it? Was that, is that the question? Well, no, that, that time was kind of short. We knew that, but yeah. you know, were they getting, I guess was the, con- was the, were players or the union providing any feedback back to the league regard to in regards to player welfare with respect to, Hey, what's going on with, you know, LA and Austin, where are we at? What's going to happen with players? What should they do? Yeah. You know, I know, um, I know, I know that a lot of players over the past few months have been asking the league for, for answers. Um, mm-hmm about what was going to happen to them and, and, and will there be a draft, you know, can I get released? These sorts of things. Um, I can't speak to all the answers that the league provided, but a lot of it was just wait and see. Um, and I think, you know, it's, there were inklings of a draft, you know, probably a couple of weeks ago um, when, when it kind of became evident that maybe these teams weren't going to sell and, and it became evident that maybe there's another team entering the competition. Um but yeah, you know, I think there's been individual players who've been in touch with the MLR basically telling them like what's asking them what's going on, saying, I don't want to be included in a draft if there's a draft. Um, and there's been no real official communication until the fourth when, you know, only Austin and LA players were notified and given this document um, 
uh, saying that there's going to be a draft in, in, in a week, you know? So it was only them that were notified. And then obviously this document was sent around to all the players, like, holy crap, this is happening in a week. Um, and yeah, we, we just felt like because the document, you know, contained information about the expansion draft as well, um, which doesn't concern um, Austin and LA players alone. You know, it was really important that, you know, we made it known to players that, you know, they might be on in, involved in a draft behind closed doors without them even knowing that they're involved in a draft, you know? So there's some problematic things in that document that we felt like needed to be addressed. Um, and I mean, the best way to do that is to make sure that every player knows, you know, we don't have direct access to every single player in the MLR, every prospective player. Um, so yeah, it was really important that message gets out. Okay, so I, I, I want to get it out there for fans to understand. There's been some questions, and, and one of the things that I saw was a little um, disconcerting for me in, in the sense that maybe just fans didn't totally understand the nature of what where the relationship is or non-relationship, if you described it, Nick, between the union and the league, in that you know somebody had said, hey, this, this statement, these statements that are going out, this should have been handled behind closed doors. Well, again, to clarify the reason for the nature of the question is, you know, uh, there, there is no closed doors. I mean, the, the, well, or maybe should we say the doors have been closed in terms of a relationship between the union and the MLR, but to recognize that it's not like the, the MLR wasn't aware of how players were feeling about their concerns about, um, where they were at and, and what the nature of their their future uncertainty was about so they they had to have known that this was going on is my point secondly um i think it's important to recognize again what nick said and i'm just recapping again for fans that are watching we have to recognize that all players were impacted by the dispersal draft because i think five players can be made available regardless of their contract terms with their existing team you know and therefore this release just didn't impact LA and Austin players. As Nick said, it impacts every player in the league. And that's where uh, a union becomes relevant because they represent all players in, in a natural, you know, collective bargaining situation. Um, so let's get to the, the heart of the matter. You've talked about um, two major concerns from the union's perspective. What else, again, for people that didn't catch it, what were some other concerns that the union had as they released uh, these um, concerns on Instagram? Um, I think, you know, there's one concern about the hastiness um, of this process, you know, having a week kind of decide if you're an Austin LA player to decide if you want to continue to play in the MLR. Um, If you do, you have to enter this draft. If you don't enter the draft, you're going to miss out on half a season. Um, That's one concern. The other concern was the way they describe um, compensation to teams that are drafting these players, um, you know, requiring that, you know, they only have to pay um, a minimum of, of the, the 20, the players, 2022 MLR compensation and, and compensation in the MLR is, is kind of strange, right? You have your MLR salary, which is uh, one piece of it. That's the bit in your MLR contract. And then pretty much every player will have either in the same contract or a separate contract, something that discusses, you know, in-kind benefits such as a coaching benefit or housing or um, medical insurance. Um, so there's nothing, there was nothing mentioned in the document about, you know, making sure that ancillary benefits were paid to players. So someone who is, let's say, playing in Austin, um, 
and has a twenty thousand uh, dollar MLR contract, but in addition was receiving, you know, full housing stipend, access to a car, and full medical coverage because I know they have medical coverage in Austin. There's no guarantee that you know, let's say they get shipped, they get shipped to Chicago. Um, there's no guarantee that they'll have access to the same ancillary benefits, right? So that that was a major concern, uh, and that's one of the things that you know we don't really know. You know what's going to be available to players from a benefit benefit point of view, and and because this document didn't mention anything about housing or 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 medical insurance um, or access to transportation, like it really puts players in a risky position where um, you could be taking a massive pay cut, and having to move to a new city, um, and not really having the negotiating power to 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 go along with um, you know to, to 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 make it like viable, you know, to to, to to or 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 to to get what you need out of it. Right, because of course, if they don't sign, like let's say the terms of the contract are not something that they're happy with, uh, then they would not be able to go to another MLR team until halfway through the season, halfway through twenty twenty three. That's not entirely true. Um, if you are involved in the dispersal draft, if you're an Austin and LA player and you can't come to terms with the team, then there's a period after which you're allowed to speak to other teams openly. Um, and it's only, and if you, if you don't manage to sign with another team, your rights stay with the team that drafted you. Um, and if you can't come to an agreement with anyone, then you're, then you're stuck in a position where you can't play, um, for, for half a year. Um, in the expansion draft, um, you, you're either going to Chicago or you're staying, you know, at home at a team that has put you up for, for, for being drafted. So that, that opens up the possibility for some interesting situations if your GM says, "Hey, we're we're going to put you into this draft, um, and you're going to go play in Chicago because we don't need you here." And then you know Chicago offers you, you know, you know a salary that you can't abide. Um, then you know you might find yourself in a place where you weren't wanted. And on top of that, um, and this is another concern we had. Um, the players that are going to be put into the expansion drafts are likely not players who have big wages. They're likely players who are on associate player contracts where they're making $15 an hour. Um, so to ask, and a lot of them would have second jobs as well. So to ask someone who is making minimum wage to, and, and, and has a secondary job outside of rugby to pack up and move to Chicago and potentially lose access to that second job, you know, on, on a week's notice is, um, you know, it's, we read this document and we we're like, this is unconscionable. Like, how could you do this to people? You know, we're not sure even MLR teams are comfortable, you know, putting up five of their guys. A lot of these rosters, you know, are finished or close to finished. So mm-hmm. if you're being asked to chuck five guys into your draft, and the document says that um, a maximum of three players would be taken from each team. But if you're going to, you know, pick three players, if you need to pick three players at this stage who you no longer have, you know, I, I don't know if teams are particularly happy about this either. Understood. And thank you so much for clarifying that because clearly I got it wrong. There is a difference then between those players in LA and Austin and, and kind of the terms of uh, their negotiation um, situation and those players who are, uh, you know, released essentially by uh, those teams, those five players from each team and how, um, you know, the terms of them, you know, finding uh, a new employer, so to speak. Um, so we have to recognize that's one of the concerns that, that the league has, and they've reiterated in this document. Let me ask this, um, and this is something I've personally been wondering a little off the cuff here, but uh, obviously there were players, when the news broke, there were players that were 
um, you know, playing for the Falcons down in South, uh, South America. There were players in South Africa that were training, getting ready for the Repershaz tournament, which, you know, again, just uh, started today as of this recording. Um, were, you know, have you talked to any of those players that had got the news and all of a sudden had to deal with the fallout, right, from thousands yeah. of miles away? No, sure, sure. I think, you know, having been with these guys, you know, from the beginning of the summer, there's a ton of uncertainty. You know, there's you know, guys um, at Austin and L.A., like there are situations where they had to leave their apartments, you know, in a, in a matter of days because the team was like, we're no longer paying for it. You know, and there's bills going to collection, uh, medical bills going to collection on both teams, um, you know, housing bills going to collection. There's some really pernicious situations here that, that that come with the end of any organization, right? If these couple, these two teams are going bankrupt, um, it's going to be really difficult for players to, you know, get paid the money that they're owed and the benefits that they're owed. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it affected them massively. Um, and credit to these players for just being like, you know what, like, you know, this, this is my lot in life and getting on with it. Um, you know, and I think, you know, as, as the tension sort of built over the summer, there was a lot of guys who who felt like they shouldn't be taking this lying down um, and they should be speaking up about it. And we had, I had a lot of conversations with players who were like, well, what can I say? Who should I speak to? Should I just tweet something X, Y, and Z? And, and that's where we felt as an organization, we can be helpful because we want to make sure that we're expressing, you know, the valid concerns of, of players in this league. Um, yeah. And I think with the draft announcement last week, there was a, a sense of resignation because they kind of expected something like this to come. So guys are already in a place where they're, they're cut, they're expecting, you know, this, this outcome. Right. Um, so yeah, credit to the guys who, who especially the guys who played today, who are not, not entirely sure what's going to happen to them in the next week um, for having the mental fortitude to, to be able to focus on performing for their country and, uh, and then, you know, potentially getting shipped around to another team in the next week. Yeah, it's, it's obviously got to be incredibly hard to focus on a repressage tournament that uh, it takes on the magnitude that it does, but then have, you know, their own personal lives and professional lives, you know, back here in the States uh, in limbo and in question. So you, you are right. I think those those players obviously deserve a lot of credit. Um, you know, on that note, obviously the you've talked a lot about the concerns that the players have and, and that has to be recognized. So I, I guess, and I, I hope this isn't an unfair question, but I guess I'd say, had there been some kind of relationship, we're not necessarily talking about a CBA, but let's say just like on the HIA protocols, um, the league brought in players such as self Dylan um, Bryce to say, look, we want to get this thing right. Uh, obviously there are concerns regarding you know, two teams and, and maybe the, and let's say perhaps a conversation happened at a much earlier time. What would the league or the, sorry, the union and the players, how would they have liked to seen this handled to make it more smooth and make sure that the players concerns were being represented? Um, I mean, communication is a big part of that. Um, I think, you know, this situation a draft is a solution to this situation, right? It's a solution that sports teams like that most sports teams would, would use. Drafts typically are bargains for 
with their unions, right? So in every professional sports league, the only reason they can hold a draft is because it's been bargained and agreed to with the unions. The rules of it are agreed to with their unions. That's why it's considered legal, right? You can't just ship people around the country to work X, Y, and Z if it hasn't been agreed upon by by the employees. Um, so I, I think, you know, just at from a five thousand from a fifty thousand foot level, like the things that would have made this a lot more easy to take would be like. We're going to make sure that that housing is guaranteed and we're going to make sure that moving expenses are paid um, and we're going to make sure um, that there's an adequate timeline for players to to speak to teams and get and get their contracts settled correctly. And those are just three things off the top of my head that I feel like the league probably could have done, you know, I probably could have came out and said and and communicated, you know, with the entire player base saying, like, we know this is tricky, like we're going to. You know, try to make this as painless as possible, ensure that you get taken care of. But the communication hasn't really been there, right? And it's easy for the league to say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a draft. Every sports sports, sports league does that, does that. But, you know, guys are making between $15 an hour and $45,000 a year in this league, right? They're not making between half a million and 20 million, right? So to ask a guy to move across the country when he's making minimum wage, it's a completely different proposition. Right. So they need to be you need to be pretty sensitive to like your players concerns when, you know, like guys like there's no, you know, guys don't have health care for their families on a lot of these teams. Like you have workers compensation and you have access to a team doctor when the team doctor is in. So you can you know feel relatively safe yourself. Right. But if you have a family, you don't know if they have health coverage or, you know, you're not guaranteed these things. So it's. Yeah, it's tricky. And I think if the league had been just a bit more forthcoming and an approach player saying, we need to do this, what are some things you'd like to hear and see from us to feel better about it, then that would have been a good start. Yeah. And, and probably at an early time period too, perhaps making a, a, a bit earlier decision on the future of Austin and LA would allow for players to have more time to make decisions. Well, I, that I think, them. you know, and, and I can't speak for the league, but you know, the best outcome for the players in terms of getting paid the money that they're owed was for the teams to be sold. Right. Um, so yeah. I, I almost understand them waiting as long as they did, but probably not, you know, they, they probably could have communicated better. The league could have communicated better with the players. Understood. Now we've talked a little bit about, uh, HIA protocols. Um, what else has the MLR done that's been good for player welfare? Again, we've talked about HIAs. Or are there other things that the league has done to recognize player welfare that that perhaps address some of the union's concerns? Um, that's that's a, a question you can ask the league as well. Um, I, I think you know every year there is um, a little bit more money being spent. On, on the peripheral, the peripheral things that that do improve player welfare, um, and I believe that the requirements, um, the, the the central requirements of the league are getting stricter each year around how many medical staff you need, team doctors, etc. So I believe that's improving. I can speak from the the, the my two year experience at U- Rooney and at at Rugby New York, and and you know knowing the guys having gone through the first two years of that that franchise as well, that, that things are building. Um, there is a, 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 a stauncher requirement for, for spending on player welfare things. Um, beyond that, um, 
I don't know. I mean, T- TMO, obviously we, we spoke about that a bit. That That's a big part of player welfare as well. Um, getting the foul play side of things right. Um, but yeah, um, there's still um, an issue around health insurance for players, um, around making sure that workers comp is, is paying for the, the best procedure for players. Um, and yeah, that's that's probably a whole nother can of worms that I think the league is, you know, trying to address, but maybe, you know, yeah, not not they're not addressing it. So yeah. And and on that note, there's been a number of folks out there in, in the, the metaverse, if you will, that have been talking about, well, we need to, you know, the players' wages are paltry and and I think there's a recognition of that. Um, but on the flip side, I think we need to understand that just like in any you know, fledgling organization, it's going to take time. You know, we're not going to be paying out, you know, tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars to players, obviously, uh, you know, five years, six years in. Um, so that's not, that's not one of the, that's not one of our asks, right? We're not saying, right. Hey, like we want to be rich tomorrow. We're saying, Hey, we want health insurance tomorrow, you know? And we were it, saying we want HIAs tomorrow. And that's the nature of, of where I was going with the question. You've mentioned HIA, you've mentioned health insurance, are there any things um, in regard to player welfare that just off the top, right, that the union would be uh, supportive of um, that would in maybe make that relationship a little bit, um, a little bit more connected? Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, health insurance as a landscape in the United States is, is incredibly co- complicated and I don't deign mm-hmm. to try to understand it and how it works in every single state, but I think players would feel much more comfortable if they had access to primary health care insurance for themselves and their family and weren't relying on um, solely workers' compensation and the generosity of team doctors, right? Um, it's not common in contracts to see any clause that says, oh, we'll take care of you if you're sick, Right. It's you have coverage for work workplace related injuries. Um, and yeah, I think that would be something that we'd love to see um, how the league does that and organizes that. Um, God, I, I don't know. I'm not a healthcare expert. You probably need a team of people to figure out, you know, the way that works in each state. Um, whether it's, I know, I know, for example, um, there is, in professional soccer, I think in the second division, it's actually healthcare is provided through the union, um, and yeah, so players sign up for health coverage through the through the players' union, actually, not through the league. Um, I don't know if that's a possibility for us. Um, we probably have to be in a slightly different situation. Um, that's that's one thing off the top of my head. I would say we'd we'd be looking at um, beyond that. There's definitely room for you know probably more robu- more robust um, requirements around the number of physios, um, on each team and, um, access to team doctors on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, again, um, that, 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 that would require, you know, more investment from each team. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I think that's very helpful uh, for anybody that doesn't know. Usually when there's a, a labor situation between any kind of organization, recognized or unrecognized union, and a um, an employer, it generally comes down to two things: uh, salary and healthcare. 
<laughs> health insurance. Yeah. You know, those yeah. are the two big items because those two things impact all members of the union, not mm-hmm. just uh, some of them. Um, so that's an important piece to recognize. Um, you know, and, and again, I appreciate your time uh, for joining us, Nick. Just two more questions. Uh, sure. You know, both of them kind of not directly connected because I think you've done a fabulous job at least expressing the position of the of the union and the players and and how they feel about where we're at right now. Um, but, you know, the the commissioner, um, Commissioner Killebrew, has expressed, at least in the past, that, um, you know, by 2031, the advent of the World Cup here in the United States, they'd like to see 30 teams um, be in the league. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What is the does the union have a position on that as a, as a players organization? Um, the union certainly doesn't have a position on that. Um, I, I, I guess the union's position is we want to see rugby grow in America, same as they do, right? We want the MLR right. to be a, a massive, massive commercial success, and we want to be partners in that. Um, so if that's thirty teams, fantastic. If it's fifteen, also fantastic, right? Um, you know, you'd hope George would know. The, what the financial models, you know, tell, you know, predict about the future of the league better than, better than anyone. So if he sees 30 teams in 2031, my gosh, like we'd be in some place and, and, you know, we'd definitely be on board uh, with, with that level of expansion if, if they brought us along with them. Right. Um, and if we, if we felt like we were, you know, I think the only way they could get to 30 teams is if they, you know, took their players extremely seriously as stakeholders to say that. Gotcha. Understand it. Well-crafted response. I think it's an important, you know, element that as the league grows, obviously it's, there's going to be, it's going to be more beneficial for the players. One last question, again, um, loosely connected to our conversation. Um, it's become apparent that um, there is some alignment between the Glendale Raptors and USA rugby. Um, you spent a bit of time in, in Glendale. Um, apparently there's going to be a slar competition in which, um, you know, uh, well, the Raptors were loosely involved here this spring, but it looks like the alignment will be closer. Have veteran Eagles been engaged with the American Raptors at all? Um, you know, being around the camp and being an Eagle yourself, are you familiar? Uh, you know, have you heard anything like that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they are um, certainly posturing to be a place um, where national team players can play together more often. Um, again, a lot of this is, um, don't know if up in the air is the right word, but not set in stone. Um, I think you've seen that national teams can have success when there's a concentration of players playing for, for one team. Right. And, you know, like the world, what the world rugby funded efforts in, um, in Chile and Uruguay and Portugal, um, you know, they've all shown massive dividends for the national teams. And in Europe in general, there's a number of, of um, emerging nation sides who are funded by World Rugby and, uh, you know, they're improving the national team. So I think it's a great idea for a team to exist that puts American players playing together. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it needs to be um, – you know, antagonistic with MLR. Like, I think, I think they can work in concert. I, I don't know exactly what that model would look like, but um, there's certainly room for, for, for more than one viable competition uh, in the U S whether it's an MLR season um, at, in its current period. And then a, a slar season with a, with a Falcons like team in, in, a, in a slightly different time period. Um, but, you know, 
in my mind, it makes a lot of sense for there to be a professional season followed by um, a season in which USA players can be playing together, you know, 12 to 15 games a year, whether it's in a club competition or international competition. This way we get the best of both worlds. We have professional competition that's vibrant and making money. And we have, um, you know, a space where we can grow as a national team. Yeah. And, and I know Cam Dolan has been um, vocal in the fact that, you know, expressing that's one of the, elements that the Eagles perhaps have been missing at least over the last two years with COVID. It's just that ability to, to, to spend a lot of time together, both in camp and in competition to create that continuity um, and to really draw those players close together. So they're better, better prepared for um, things like the repechage and things like the world cup clearly. And, and we should give a nod to Gary gold. Um, You know, some people, the people have their opinions on him as a coach. I'm not going to, you know, comment on that. That's for, other people decide, but we have to recognize that Gary steps to prepare for those repressage. He's pulled out all the stops as best as he can. Yeah. No, he's, he's, um, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's done a great job getting us together for this long. Like I, we were worried after the Chile that we'd come into this, this, this period, you know, on, you know, a week of prep. Um, but he, he, I, he worked his balls off putting, putting this together. And, and I, you know, we're, we're one week into the repechage. I hope that fans and myself and and the country, I hope they see, um, you know, what we can do when um, we spend time together because that's what it's all about. I think if you want to craft an international team, um, you need time together. You need to learn each other, like learn how each other play. You need to be ready to fight for each other, um, and nothing gets you there like you know, playing warm-up games in Bloemfontein against really good competition or, you know, spending two weeks together in the Denver, the Denver altitude, the Denver sunshine, getting absolutely flogged, like all those things. That's how you build a team. You know, it can't happen in a week. And and really, honestly, credit to Gary for, for you know, pulling out all the stops and making sure that we have the time together. Um, it's And I can tell you, having been in that camp for five weeks, um, you know, the, the, I would just say that the, the, the standards at which we're training are better than they had been, right? Much better than they had been, um, and I'm, I'm I'm glad for that, and I hope it pays dividends the next couple of weeks because we've been working hard. Yeah, the, I, I, the, you can't say enough about that. Thank you for your insight, particularly, and we also have to recognize the fact that. USA Rugby put the Falcons down in South America for those younger players that yeah. we hope to see develop as we move forward, hopefully to 2023 and 2027. Um, I don't know that we've had, you know, consistently the type of activity, you know, at the developmental levels that we've had recently. So that's really, really, uh, I think those are positive steps in regards to USA Rugby. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, um, before we close this out, you know, again, uh, Nick, I, I want to thank you so much for your willingness to join, not only as a representative of the, the union, the USRPA, but also as, you know, an MLR champion as a USA Eagle. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity in case I missed something. Is there anything else, you know, either from a personal or from a union standpoint that you think fans need to be aware of, um, with regard to all that's come about here in the MLR recently? Oh, I mean, I would say, um, you know, MLR is a, is a, is a, is a startup, right. Um, 
and you know for all intents and purposes um you know so so is the union right so like we're going to make mistakes as a union like the league's going to make mistakes like patience is a virtue and patience is warranted right but we need to start working together um and we need to start thinking about the long-term future of rugby in america um so yeah i guess i'll i can end on that because you know success will come from cooperation um and being aligned um because we have the same goal right we have the same goal you know so yeah well thank you nick chavetta um we appreciate coming on and we want to remind fans that we're coming to you every week with the rugby rant we're on all social media platforms facebook uh, but also on your vehicles through getting uh, your podcast, you know, uh, whether it be Spotify or um, it, Apple, um, whatever the vehicle, uh, go out, find us, check us out. Uh, I think you'll be um, that much better of a rugby connoisseur for having listened to this episode and Absolutely. others. Um, and we, we're going to bring you more content, more episodes as we progress at the Rugby Rant. Um, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. We sincerely appreciate you giving your time on short notice, by the way, has to be recognized on short notice um, that Nick was willing to come on and talk to us about uh, the union's concerns and the players concerns. Well, Rob, uh, thank you. Thank you as well. I think just uh, for the ability to platform some of the ideas of the union is, is really valuable um, because um, in American rugby, it's difficult to find press platforms, right. For, for both sides and, and to get your story out there. So, 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 honestly earnestly thank you um and i hope i hope you do have a conversation with someone from the league and i hope it's really productive as well so um yeah thanks again thank you and folks thanks for joining us check us out next week don't forget to check out the rant we're both on trn and all social media platforms where we'll be talking about this issue in a little bit more depth with some with some insiders we'll Um, have some some results next week sorry to interrupt you but you'll have some draft results. Yeah. Well, and by the time this airs, we will, well, I guess we'll, we'll be that much closer to finding out what the results of the dispersal draft are. Again, stay tuned. Uh, I'm sure you're going to see it on the MLR fan zone uh, and we'll be talking about it as well. So thank you for joining folks. Thank you, Nick. And we'll see everybody at the turn. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.